Hey, it's Sarah. Wanted to remind you to download and subscribe to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny. That's her dog. It's the best NFL podcast around and a must listen to get me ready for my shows like Highly Questionable, Around the Horn, and my radio show Spain and Fitz. You can find the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny wherever you get your podcasts. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. I'm Jen Latta, and my dilemma is I'm a huge Chicago sports fan, and I work in Wisconsin covering the Packers. Okay, well, this hits close to home because I married a Wisconsinite or Wisconsinian. I don't know what it is. I should probably know that by now. But either way, Brad admitted to... uh, Packer roots in his youth and then he lived in Chicago for so long by the time that I met him and even ran a website and a newspaper about Chicago sports so I figured that he had expelled the Scani from his life but then just a few months after we started dating uh, we sat down for Bears Packers season opener Jay Cutler's first game as a bear and he threw four picks and had a QBR of 43 which in uh, hindsight was a bit of an omen. Uh, And instead of consoling me or feeling sad uh, and equally as pained by Jay Cutler's debut, Brad was laughing during the game and admitting that there was a teeny tiny part of him that still wanted to see the Packers do well. Um, And by that point, I was trapped. Uh, We had already dropped the L-bombs and it was too late to go back. Anyway, the point is that uh, the rivalry will always be there, uh, but a little bit of love can exist through it all, whether in marriage or in radio hosting. And I will tell you that doing the job will help you being a radio host in Wisconsin because somehow as a national host and analyst I become soft I I still love my teams but Aaron Rodgers is my favorite NFL player and I love Giannis and the Bucks so I'm guessing you'll find a tiny little space in your heart for all the Wisconsin teams and coaches and players that you're covering and uh, the bonus is that you actually in talking about the Bucks and the uh, Packers get to talk about winning successful teams unlike the Bears and the Bulls sigh. The commish has spoken. Jen Latta is a two-time Emmy award-winning reporter and host for ESPN. She's my guest this week. You can see her regularly on College Game Day. She's also often on SC Featured, Outside the Lines, E60. She is the host of the morning show Jen, Gabe, and Chewy on ESPN Milwaukee from 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern, and she co-hosts the podcast Athletes Doing Good uh, I really like talking to her about sort of the circuitous route that she took to ESPN, working in smaller markets and bouncing around to cities, trying to make it work as a young mom, and why her start at ESPN wasn't what she imagined, how she figured out how to settle in and, and balance family and work and a husband who lived many states away for a while, uh, plus the challenges of telling some of the tough stories she does, and pooping in her neighbor's yard. Uh, this is a fun one. You'll see why Jen has been so successful and, and why her work ethic inspires a lot of other people. So I hope you enjoy it. And stick around for a special little Thanksgiving thought at the end of this episode. That's what she said. It's amazing that I haven't had Jen Latta on the pod before. She's been on the pod, but in a round table. And so we've never actually gotten to do the full breakdown, but we've uh, worked together and she's come on my shows and... I don't know. Just feel like I know Jen better than some of the other folks, even though you're all the way across the country, although you're you're back closer to me now in the Midwest. We'll get into that later. Um, but you're such a, a multifaceted uh, person at ESPN. You're always doing so many different jobs. And I've, I'm just so impressed with your approach to everything. So I want to not only get into what we always do, which is where you came from, how you got to who you are. 
but also some of the the work that you do and what your kind of schedule looks like for all that stuff. Um, Cause I'm sort of fascinated by the feature people, especially having done one myself, how long it takes and how much work goes into it. Um, let's go back to growing up. You're from Illinois. I don't even know where Spring Grove is. Where is that? So it's right on the border of Wisconsin and Illinois. And Sarah, when you go up to Wisconsin, you yeah. might take 43. It depends on where you are. Like you pass through Spring Grove and you pass through Richmond, Illinois. Okay. I'm going to look for right, it. Right near the border. Um, Yeah. But it's funny because I'm one of those people who I would tell people when I got to Marquette that I was from Northern Illinois and they would all be like, oh, suburb of Chicago. And I was like, no, like an hour from Chicago. Yeah. The like, suburb of Chicago people just say Chicago. That's where like, I'm from. Isn't and that I a say suburb? Chicago. Yeah. Right. And you're like, no, like, I have people from Rockford who are like, yeah, we're a suburb of Chicago. No, you're not. You're no, not. Very far away. I've done the drive. Um, okay. So you're basically hugging uh, the, the, the posterior, the bottom of Wisconsin. Um, and you ended up at Marquette. Was any of that uh, based on location? Did you have an affinity for Wisconsin because of that? Did you go there a lot growing up or was it wholly unrelated to your location? Totally unrelated. The only time I had been in Wisconsin that I remember was like going to Noah's Ark, the theme park when we were kids. And then we went to the safe house, which is like some like quirky little restaurant in Milwaukee that has a spy theme for homecoming. Like we drove up to Wisconsin for homecoming. That was really like the extent of my Wisconsin knowledge. No, true story. I got waitlisted at Northwestern, which is fine because I'm, I tell this story all the time. I embarrassed my parents wholly on my visit to Northwestern because they opened it up for questions and they said, you know, can we answer any questions for you? And I was like, yeah, like, what is your Greek life like? And my parents, (laughs) my parents were like, we don't even know her. Like, that's that's the priority. Else, What's the party scene? And will I yeah. get to stand in a circle with other someone women and pass around a candle? take this child home <laughs> with them because she's not allowed in our vehicle. Oh, um, so, so I got into Marquette and it worked out perfectly. They had a great broadcasting program. And one of the great things about Milwaukee was they allow you to immerse yourself in the broadcasting very early. So like it's like the 33rd or 35th that fluctuates market in the country, but they lean very heavily on the Marquette interns. So I was able to like feet first jump into working at television stations very early in my college career, which is not something that everyone can say, right? You're kind of like hoping to get a crack at working in a newsroom. And they were like, no, man, come on, like fill them up during the summers. Which would not have been the case at Northwestern for sure. Great school for that, but uh, a a flooded marketplace. So how did, did you know when you were going to school, you wanted to get into sports broadcasting? Tell me more about like your childhood. What did your parents do and, and what kind of sports ties did you have? So we were always just a really active family. Um, You know, we were one of those, as soon as you were done with your homework, get outside. You know, not a lot of video games, not a lot of television. Um, My dad's really quirky and he had a rule that we weren't allowed to watch commercials. Um, uh, Personally, I think it was because he didn't want to have to buy us stuff. So if we didn't know that it existed, it was like, well, they can't possibly want the you know, big pre- present for Black Friday if they don't know that it exists. So we just spent a lot of time outside. Um, wait, wait. During the commercials, what did you like do? Squats or what? You, you, no, we had to leave the room. Herpes? You, we had to literally leave the room. He'd be like, commercials. Wait, what's it even like to do to be active and get off your butts? It was just don't see the things that people are selling you. Was exactly. there? Okay. Oh, so would he appreciate DVRs or would like, was it all about avoiding commercials or was it about not sitting for long stretches? Because DVRs could really burn them on that. Probably both. 
probably appreciated both elements of it. Um, so weird. I've so never weird, heard right? of that in my life. I know. Every time I tell people, they're like, this explains a what? lot. What? <laughs> um, so, we, you know, we were just really active. But what I always tell people that shocks them, Sarah, and you're of the same age as me, like, we didn't have organized sports as kids. Like, the boys did. The boys had, like, baseball and they had football and they had all these things. But, like, our community didn't offer sports for girls. And, like, really? this sounds like it would be, like, the 1950s or, not, you know, we're talking about, you know, the mid-80s. And um, we had, like, I, AYSO soccer. Yeah, like rec soccer, right? I, like I played a ton of stuff in my backyard, and then I played USTA tennis when I was younger. So that was like a that was a national organization that we were a part of. But the only thing that would have been like just in my community that would have made sense at a really young age would have been that AYSO soccer, and that wasn't something we were into as much. Like we didn't have little league, or but obviously that changed when you got to junior high, or no? Yep. So okay. when I was in junior high, I played basketball. I was on the cheerleading team. I was on. The I was going to say, if you were like, it was like footloose. You were like, no, in high school, we still didn't have sports and we couldn't dance. <laughs> yeah. No, thankfully they had some of those things. My dad was actually the athletic director at our grade school. Uh, and so that's where okay. kind of like the appreciation for sports. I don't came think from. I knew grade schools had athletic directors. Yeah. Well, we were a kindergarten through eighth grade. So, you know, when you get to junior high, it was a Catholic grade school. Okay. Um, but I just remember him being really involved. And so he would have us kids like scoring the volleyball games, scoring the basketball games, pushing the broom, you know, to clean the floor in between games. So we were all just always just like around it. Um, Did my your dad, dad wear elastic waistband shorts 24-7? I'm starting to get a vibe here uh, that he was like the, the guy that lived in the gym. No, total hard ass. <laughs> like my dad had two Harleys when I was growing up. What? He's got stories of going to Sturgis. Can we and, call like, your dad instead or... <laughs> Right? My entire life, I'm just trying to be as cool as my father. Like, let's be honest about it. Um, but just know, he's an insane person. So, like, it again, this will explain a lot. Um, so, so that's where it came from, just being around sports and, you know, being athletic. I remember playing, you know, pickleball with my brothers in the front yard, always playing horse or pickup games in the driveway. Um, we lived on the water, so we were always, like, you know, out on the boat and skiing and so, so we were just a really active family but I didn't know that women could work in sports mm -hmm. until like my junior year of college mm -hmm. like it just wasn't a thing that women did and I've told this story before but I was sitting in a class with a bunch of dudes and they were talking about the basketball game and I happened to be dating a guy on the team and like when you're when you're hanging around with the basketball players you just know stuff you probably shouldn't know and you know, you're just too close right? right and they were you know waxing poetic about what had happened and I like spun around and was like you guys have no idea what you're talking about and not in a hey let's talk about sports kind of way right. but in a like this is what's really going on and then we would have these conversations about the basketball team and one of them said to me hey, you should do sports. And it was like, what does that even mean? I don't, what am I going to, I'm going to do sports. And um, that was kind of the the light bulb moment, kind of the flashpoint of, oh, okay, maybe there is a career there. And then I was lucky to get in on that wave of where all of a sudden sports departments were adding women to their staff. Right. And it was just, it was good timing um, that the business was kind of turning a corner there to add more women. And I was coming out of school at that time. Broadcast electronics major. I don't think I've ever heard that. What is that? Mostly like tel like television. So doing television. So a lot of my classes were like presenting. You know, I remember specifically one class where you had to demonstrate something to the class and I wrapped a present. 
I was like, and then you put the tape here and you try to use as few pieces of so tape So what they as mean possible. is like, electronic electronic broadcasting, not broadcast so like electronics. Yeah, probably the opposite of like print journalism. It sounds like you were you were like operating all of the electronic like that the way it sounds this is the uh, anyway um did you uh you didn't happen to know my my uh, my buddy danny pooty while you were there i did know danny he was quite the super fan at yeah. Marquette. he was the yeah, mascot nutso yeah 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 such a good dude um i was gonna ask about jimmy butler but he's a little after our time a little we're a little bit older than Jimmy. i covered jimmy butler though because i ended up working in milwaukee for seven years and jimmy you know, obviously everybody evolves and changes um, throughout their career, but he was the most soft-spoken, huh. like chillest, nicest. I remember one time they were leaving for the NCAA tournament and we were at Marquette and we were interviewing them and he was jamming to something in his headphones. And I was like, Jimmy, Jimmy, what are you listening to? And he's like, Miley Cyrus. <laughs> of course. Well, that part's the same. Right, that part's exactly. The same. He's always and been And at into, the time uh, it was like, cool. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's what she said. Okay, so you you leave Marquette, and I mean, like so many people from about our age and on, if you already knew you wanted to do that, you got tons of reps in college, which is fantastic. Um, there's high schoolers that I mentor now that have like their own radio station in school, and I'm like, okay, I didn't do any of that until I was like 26. I was way behind. But um, you immediately went to to work as a reporter and an anchor for local television, right? Yep. So I was lucky in, I, you know, and this was, I always tell people like, look at what's, look at what this is. This is sitting on my desk. This is a oh, VHS nice. tape. Nice. Okay. It's a VHS tape because that's how you send out resumes Google it. Google it, back in the day. Right yeah. now people just send links. Here's my link. Oh, no, I always talk about how I had to buy a DVD burner when I lived in LA and get a DVD edited of my highlight reel and then bring it home and burn it to send via snail mail to places. So I remember sitting in like a FedEx Kinko's here in <laughs> Milwaukee until like 4 a.m. Yep. dubbing videos and sending out my resume to hundreds of stations. And I got two bites, one in San Diego and one in Rockford, Illinois. And I've talked on this podcast about my experience in San Diego, which was yeah. just being completely sexually harassed, wholly inappropriate. Um and I came home from that being like, wow, Jen, like you do not know what you are getting yourself into. Um, and then I got a call from Rockford and I never really thought about starting my career in Rockford, but it couldn't have worked out more perfectly in that it was, you know, an hour from my house. It was an hour from Milwaukee where I had this huge group of friends and my social circle. And I was able to live at home, which is huge because I was only making $27,000. <laughs> And I'll never forget that when I got the job in Rockford, I had to go into the GM of the station after a couple of weeks and go, hey, here's the thing. I don't have enough money for the gas in my car to get from my house to here. Could you give me a payday advance? Mm. And they must have been like, who is yeah. this person? Yeah. Um, but those are the moments God. now, like yeah. once we get to where we are, where you're like, I'm so glad I went through those things because I appreciate where I am now so much more than if everything had just been handed to me. Oh, I found my taxes in a folder. And one of the first couple years that I worked at Fox Sportsnet out in LA, where I was technically part-time, even though it was my only job and I worked all the time, I made $18,000 that year. And I lived in LA. <laughs> like, 
thank goodness my parents were helping with my car payment. And I would go to Whole Foods at prime uh, sampling hour so that I could uh, eat a free lunch of samples. When you said Whole Foods, I was like, Whole Paycheck? No, Whole Paycheck, but Whole Foods, which gives away tons of samples in Brentwood right around the noon hour. And so you could eat for free. Um, Okay, so you're, you're in Rockford. And what kind of work were you doing? Is this the one man band where you're going out to places and you're shooting your own stuff and all that? It is. It's one man banding, heavy equipment, none of this like lightweight, compact stuff that they have nowadays where you could shoot stuff on your cell phone. Um, And it was, I was anchoring, gosh, I'm like having to go into my memory banks here. I was anchoring like the weekend shows. I was doing an athlete of the week feature once a week, which is hilarious because the features have been the consistent thread of my career from the very beginning. Um, But I was, tasked with doing an athlete of the week story. It was a sponsored piece. So they were heavily invested in it. And it was figuring out every week who had not only performed well the previous week, but also was an upstanding citizen, you know, had was well-rounded, a good representative of their school and their community. And then going out and interviewing the athlete, interviewing their parents, interviewing the coaches, and then cutting it all up for a feature that aired every Wednesday night. Um, So it was a lot of stuff. Sarah, there were nights where I was like driving around from basketball game to basketball game. You hope you show up at a high school basketball game while there's action going on, not Mm -hmm. at halftime. Because if you time that sucker out wrong, you're sitting there for 20 minutes going, well, I lost. Like the the guys across town are going to get six games tonight and I got two. So I'm going to have to stretch those suckers out for the six minute sports cast. Um, Which again, I haven't thought about in years. It's so funny. But there were nights I went on television with no makeup on because it just, didn't have time. Like something's got to go. And this, this is it. <laughs> Thank God that happens when we're young. Um, we don't, we don't need it as much. Uh, and before Twitter was like a thing, yeah. people couldn't be like, woof, woof. what's going on with you tonight? Um, so you're, you're doing the local stuff and then you end up at, at CSN Chicago, uh, Comcast Sportsnet doing bears and white Sox stuff and, uh, some high school and, uh, beer money, a trivia show. So, um, did that feel when you got that job like, oh, my God, I made it like this is it. I don't even need to go anywhere from here because I remember when I used to be working small website stuff in Chicago and I would see people on CSN. I'd be like, oh, my God, that's the dream. They made it. Absolutely. Um, I had always thought if I could work in Chicago, you know, my hometown covering my hometown teams, that would be legit, you know, and people who I grew up with would be able to watch me every night. Mm -hmm. My parents would be able to watch me every night. And that would be like some sort of, you know, sign of an accomplishment. But, you know, peel behind, pull behind the curtain a little bit here, Sarah, you and I sat down and talked years ago now when I got the job offer at ESPN and I was asking you mm-hmm. about your experiences at the network. Which and was saying mostly like, local radio, which is nothing like national. But, and I was like, what should I do? Like, you've been there. Like, is it all it's cracked up to be? Like, this is a pretty plum gig that I have, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I will say that that's always kind of been me. Like, a long time ago, I realized that there are people who know more than I do about things. And I'm always like, ask them. Like, if they're willing to share the information, I'm going to try to, like, tap into it, right? And so that's why I reached out to you and was like, you tell me what you think. Like, is this something I should and, – and you, to your credit, were like, you got to go for this, Jen. Yeah. Like, you got to, you know, yeah, take the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I was scared. I was scared about – We didn't want to get lost. Zone, yeah. Which you know you can easily do at ESPN. Yep. Yeah. So um, when did you meet your husband, Dario? 
in Milwaukee. He got hired at the ABC affiliate. I was at the Fox. Um, I'm that pretty candid about Rockford this. Rockford and Chicago? Yes, I was in Rockford and then I was in Milwaukee for seven years, which many people consider to be an eternity in in local sports, right? Especially when you consider that I was not making a lot of money. So, um, you know, there's another example of like at one point I went to my boss because I was bringing my son. I had just gone through my divorce and I couldn't afford childcare. So I was bringing Chase to work with me and I'd give him an iPad or I'd put out a movie on one of our eight televisions in the sports department. And my boss was like, hey, like you can't be bringing your kid to work with you. And I was like, you were like cool. pay me more. <laughs> do you want to pay me so that I can afford a sitter? Or do you have a teenage daughter at home who's looking to make, you know, yeah. $4 an hour? <laughs> so that's about what it's going to be. When did you get married the first time? I was, gosh, so young. I was 26, I want to say. Um, had just gotten the job in Milwaukee. So probably had been out of school for like five years. Um, and, and it's funny because I talk to people now like – um, great relationship, but it was also one of those things where like, I didn't know who I was. Right. And since I didn't know who I was yet, it's really hard to find a partner mm-hmm. when you don't really know who you are. Um, so the crazy thing is that my, um, my previous husband lives in Milwaukee. So, you know, we have a great modern family type of thing going <laughs> on here where we see him every other weekend and he's at Chase's sporting events and we're all, and he's got two little boys and I've got two little girls and they play together. And it's That's like, awesome you know, 10 years ago, didn't think we'd ever get there, but have definitely like evolved as human beings and, and as Chase's parents, which is cool. Yeah. Cause you have to balance all that. You have a son and you're in Milwaukee, you meet Dario, you end up moving to Connecticut to work for ESPN. And at the time Dario was still working in Wisconsin, right now, did he move out to Connecticut and say, I'll find something? So he had gotten a job in New York. That's right. So it actually worked right. out really well. He was at um, New York One. And again, you know, you talk about dream jobs as well. He's a, he's a sports reporter as well, not just straight news. Yep. Sports reporter as well. Grew up in South Florida, where they always say, like, you could live in South Florida and cover sports. Like, sometimes they're good, but they pay you in sunshine in <laughs> yeah, Florida. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so he got the job in New York, which is great. He was super excited about covering all of those, you know, historic teams. And I was in um, at ESPN in Connecticut. So we did the whole like middle. He went one way, I went the other, and then we met back in like um, Fairfield, Connecticut. So we were there for four years. And and then what ended up happening, and this is the crazy thing that I think you're referring to, Sarah, is he got laid laid off because they canceled sports. Like, which is unheard of now in 2020 in New York to think about a station canceling its sports department. And he got a job in Wisconsin. So for a a little over a year, we did long distance. Wow where he was back here in Wisconsin covering the Bucks and the Brewers, and I was in Connecticut with the kids. Well, at that time, yeah, we had two kids. It's hard to keep track. <laughs> with the kids, his mom moved in with us and was kind of helping out with the kids while I did all of my ESPN responsibilities. Wow. And that was insane. Yeah. Like, I talk about Just the You insanity. and your husband's mom hanging out with the kids while he's in a different state. NBD. <laughs> Me? And he was living in Wisconsin with my sister and her husband. What? So... Okay, we need a reality show. We need we need her because we got but, we got a lot of characters in here that are great. We got the ex husband, uh, you know, certain to, we can create some conflict with the new wife. That'll be good. Well, the great thing is, and this is what I always lean on, is the crazy things that we do to survive in this industry. Right? Like I talk about how when I was working in Rockford, I lived at my mom and dad's, couldn't afford gas. 
when I was um, working in Chicago, I still had a house in Milwaukee. And so I was commuting back and forth from Milwaukee to Chicago. And I was doing the midnight show. So I'd get done at 1230. I literally would have my car running and sprint off the set and I'd get home at 2 a.m., let the sitter off the clock. Oh, wow. You know, like like the things that we do because, you know, just like, well, what, what else am I going to do? Like, this is what you have to do to, like, make it work. You know, living in Connecticut while my husband's in Wisconsin because I've got a good thing going at ESPN. And then you go, this is nuts. Like this. <laughs> and, and look, if there's anything that this crazy quarantine has taught me is, like, you, we don't, I don't have to be an insane person. Like I am a recovering perfectionist. Oh, that's always know? been very clear about you. And it, it <laughs> no, I mean, it, in a good way, sometimes it, it makes for good work, but um, in a way that feels unsettling at times. And like, it must be very difficult for you to just ever relax or let yourself off the hook. Totally. And I think that goes back to my upbringing, you know, and I've had a lot of therapy sessions to kind of work through a lot of You've that stuff. You've watched a lot right? of commercials. It's just exposure therapy, <laughs> just like just endless Black Friday reels. You could tell us what the special is at Best Buy. <laughs> exactly. And just kind of like, look, I think a lot of people I talk to now as we get into, you know, this, this phase of our lives, we talk about the way we were raised and mm-hmm. the way that that kind of put us on a certain path. And then it's like, you know, I know that my parents were doing the very best job that they could, but there were things they didn't know. And there were things that, you know, I know now as a parent that I you know, do differently. Um, and I'm not saying one's right or wrong. It's just doing things differently. Um, but we just have so many more resources. Yeah. You know, if my parents didn't know how to handle a situation, they couldn't go to peanut. They couldn't go to Google. Yeah. They couldn't, you know, like real quick, hold on. Let me just figure out what the punishment should be for that. Ask like a, like a group of people on Facebook. Let me Facebook. see if that's toxic or if I can just have you sleep it off. Hold on. Give me a second. Um, it is fascinating though. And I find especially women right around, I don't know, 32, 33, if you mostly have your shit together, like you're not hurting to pay the bills, that's when you start to spend that time that you were stressing about finding a, a, a husband or a wife and then paying bills and you start to be really introspective about who you are and how do you how do you manifest happiness and how do you be better to people around you and how do you fix the things about yourself that you that you want like it's a real noticeable pivot point for so many people right around that couple years after 30 I think if you have those other things because I think you're just so busy figuring out who you are figuring out what you do and then how how to do all that and stay alive and then eventually you settle down enough to be like, okay, I got some time now to think about, oh, I should really work on that. <laughs> like, well, and I think that ESPN kind of contributed to a little bit of my neuroses as well, right? Like I had a really, Dan, you know, had a really inauspicious start at ESPN. I, I think I'm aware of this as well. I <laughs> yeah, I definitely I think, think I called you. Yeah, it was like, or I think we're all aware that there were some hiccups. Like, what is even happening? Um, and, and, and that, you know, for somebody who has always felt like they've had success, right? Mm-hmm. Work hard, have success to be working hard and for it not to be turning into success was like, what am I doing wrong here? Well, what do you Why want to share about that? Cause only share what you want to, but, but, to, but, you know, inauspicious just is to say that you were working on some stuff and it wasn't always as received the way that you had hoped. Yeah. And I think just the easiest way that I can like wrap my brain around it now was it was just a bad fit. Mm-hmm. And yet for someone like me, that doesn't make sense. Like that used to not compute. Like I was very much a square peg round hole person, you know, like 
<laughs> keep hitting it till it works. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so when it didn't and it was like, no, this isn't going to work, that was very difficult for me to swallow. It was like, no, 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 no. You must not understand. Like, it always works. Um, you know, my, my, I have friends who will be like, Jen, you can't bulldoze your way through everything. Mm. And so that was a good lesson of like, oh, why not? Like, it's, <laughs> that's always worked, you know? Um, but I know that that, like, turns people off. I know that that can come across as abrasive. I know that, like, my work ethic and the, the frequency that I operate at, Sarah, is off-putting for some people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I have to be very conscious of how it's affecting the people around me, especially when I work in a group setting. You know, College Game Day is a perfect example of that. Like, that show doesn't ex that show doesn't have success if everybody isn't pulling the rope in the same direction. And that means that nobody can be saying, well, what am I going to get out of this? It's all about what's best for the show. And so you do what's best for the show. You know, and sometimes that means you take a back seat personally and your story doesn't get on the air because it's not a good fit this week and all that work that you put in, you know, evaporates. Um, so that has been a really good learning lesson for me is like how these behemoth shows work because everybody works together to put the very best product on the air. Yeah. You, you do fantastic feature work, and um, you won your first Emmy for Holinsky's Hope, uh, which is an E60 about uh, South Carolina quarterback uh, Ryan Holinsky and how the loss of his brother Tyler affected him and his family and influenced them to work um, to spread uh, information and, and help about battling mental illness. And I believe that was the uh, that, that won you an Emmy. And was that this year's ceremony that did not happen? That's such a bummer. Such a bummer. <laughs> and you had been nominated before? I'd been there nominated the previous two I years. I think I saw you there. In other categories. Yeah, when yeah. I had my Emmy. Isn't it great, though? Like, <laughs> But I got to be there in person, in. and then right. you didn't get to be there for the one you won and go on the stage. That's so shitty. It, yeah, it was definitely disappointing. I definitely cried in my living room, right? So I we were too. streaming it and we put it up on, you know, we put it up on the big screen. Um, but the th crazy thing about that, and you know this having done the story that you did with Dylan, is it's not my story, mm -hmm. right? And like, there's this yeah. weird thing that your brain does where your ego wants to step in and be like, yeah. you know. And I did something awesome. And then it's more like, I just didn't up something that very clearly was the best story ever. Like that's essentially how I think about everything that has to do with that story. I'm very proud. The writing one, I felt a little bit more like, okay, I did a lot on this because I had to write it. But you're right. Even even the E60, I'm like, well, the editors and then Deland and his family, and they were all so great. And the story was so great. Yeah, that's so true. And I always say that like, even if I have ESPN on my mic flag, I feel like there's never an expectation that people have to share their stories with us. Mm -hmm. Like it's so important to remember that, right? Like mm -hmm. we wanted to do a piece last week on Mac Jones. And I don't think I'm talking out of turn here to say that like number one team in the country, quarterback on the team, a little bit of an unknown nationally. Let's, let's talk to this kid. And, you know, Nick Saban just said, you know, it's not, it's not a good week. It's not a good week, and I don't know if we're going to do that story. And so, we, you know, again, like, there's a part of you that wants to be like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> College Game Day wants to do a story on this kid, and he's got a great story that we want to tell. And the program says, yes, it's not good for us. You know, and so, again, you have to silence your ego that says, I, yeah. but I want to tell the story. I want to, you know, and remember that it's not my story to tell. It's his yeah. story. And, you know, it has to work in their best interest first and foremost.
That's what she said. What's your favorite part about doing feature work? Gosh, that's tough. Um, I enjoy the creative process. Um, I enjoy sequencing out stories in my head and imagining how I think they're going to go. I enjoy interviewing people. I think that this year has been a really weird year. Um, I was doing a story with a family uh, for SEC Network last week where the athlete had a medical emergency and he is, um, you know, um, really struggling. And to sit on Zoom and interview his mom about how her son is now in a wheelchair and, you know, needs help being fed and is trying to relearn how to walk. That's a weird place to be. Mm, Yeah. That's not, Um, that's very strange. And, you know, I think that that's one of the things that like it's underappreciated for the strangeness of 2020 is like, do we need to travel everywhere? Probably not probably don't need to go everywhere that we have in the past. But when you're trying to have a very intimate conversation with somebody about their pain points, you should do it in person. Absolutely. Also, just because of the things that come before the camera turns on, where you're just at their house and you're talking to their family and you feel like you're talking about things that aren't that. So that when you sit down to talk about this most fragile thing, you feel like you have already established who you are and you know them a little bit and it doesn't feel like you're prying because that's such a difficult thing to do. I also struggle because I, whenever I watch you or Rinaldi or any of the, you know, feature people who do great work, I cry at everything. So it's really hard for me to interview people about sad things without crying. And then they like react to my crying. <laughs> and I'm like, I stop, Sarah, you're supposed to be like working right now, but I can't help it. Um, especially like a similar story where you're talking to a mom about, you know, there was the story I did um, with Gronk about the kid who has um, a really rare epileptic disease and they were struggling with how, how he was going to come through it and the pills he had to take and how they changed him. And it was just really difficult to have those conversations with people for work because you, you don't act in the way you would if you were just sitting down with them in the living room. So I've had a couple of great conversations, Sarah, that that are similar to what you said. Uh, I talked to Chris Conley, mm, and I was like, great. "How do you do this, yeah. man? You do the you do the my wish stories mm, every year, yeah. and mm-hmm. you sit with these kids who either have terminal cancer or who are really you know um, um, up against it, have some serious challenges." I said, "How do you do it?" And he says, "Well, I put my hand in my pocket and I pinch myself," huh. and he says, "And then the pain from the pinch overrides." Huh. Sentiment. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that, Chris. <laughs> I, I might try that next time. So, so what I will say to you is I'm the same way. This stuff affects me. You know, it's part of the reason I enjoy working in the feature space. It's also part of the reason why I sometimes dread some of these heavier conversations. Um, with the Holinskys, when Mark Holinsky was talking about his son, Tyler, dying by suicide, I started sobbing. Yeah. And we had to cut tape and we had to break. And Mark and I went outside and we probably had the most authentic, like intimate moment that I've ever had with somebody, which, and he said to me, like, thank you. Like, thank you for acknowledging, even though it was spontaneous, right? right and organic, acknowledging the pain that we're sitting in. Yeah. Because to sit there stoically, Mm-hmm. That's you know, not right either. Yeah. yeah, I think sometimes people are like, "Are you hearing what mm-hmm. we're saying?" You know, and so there was a really deep connection just in that moment of like, 
okay, I'm not talking to a like cyborg reporter. I'm talking to a human who clearly empathizes with the situation that our family is in. Well, and I think when you start to do it more often, you realize you can cut (laughs) and come back where the camera's not going to be on you. I'm so used to doing like around the horn where you're on the whole time that I was like, oh no, you can't cry. You can't cry. And then later I was like, they, they, they're not going to use that part. (laughs) Like they're not going to cut away to you being a a mess, you know? Um, Well, that, that story was so incredible. And um, you know, it's, it's impressive the work that you do because it is very emotionally taxing and it's also attention to detail matters so much. You have to get it right when people are trusting you with stories like that. Um, and then your podcast is, is similar. Like it, it, you, you do take on the stories that are full of, of heart and full of, um, um, depth, right? You're not, um, as much into let me break down X's and O's. Is that a choice or is that something you've just sort of ended up in that space? I probably think it's the most authentic space in sports for me. Um, I never played football in a shocking development. Um, I don't think that that should ever be an indictment of my career either. And I know you feel similarly, like if a doctor can be a dude and deliver my kids, right. Think I can learn about football. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but it just doesn't come as naturally. And what comes naturally to me is storytelling. And what comes more natural to me is kind of the humanity of it. And I think a lot of people, who might not understand the X's and O's, who might not be um, as drawn to that side of things, do appreciate the humanity. Totally. And do appreciate the journeys and people overcoming adversity and the connections. Like so many of our stories are about connection. You mentioned your story with Gronk. Um, it's, you know, it's an athlete on this that we put on this pedestal connecting with a child who's going through something. And like, I th- you know, those types of stories just resonate with so many more people than let me break down why the Packers totally you know, beat the stinky Jaguars. Yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Um, so you've got your podcast, you've got all the feature work. Um, oh, I wanted to quickly ask you when you decided to move back to Milwaukee, was that a conversation that you had to have with ESPN about like this, this needed to be temporary. We weren't going to be living in different places for this long. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, you know, to preserve my, uh, job security, right? Like I know there have been people at ESPN who have up and moved without running it by their bosses mm. and the conversations afterwards. It seems like a weird thing to do. I think that's even, not one yeah. of those, yeah, per, you know, permission or apology. Right, right, say, right. Like, think, yeah. like better to apologize. No, that's not one of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, um, but we were doing so much traveling as it was like for feature stories. And again, this is pre COVID. Um, so I was traveling every week, you know, whether it be to a feature shoot or to game day or to an E60 shoot or an outside the line shoot. Um, it wasn't that unusual. What I will say was different was when we moved and I was filling in on Sports Center or I was filling in on Outside the Lines and doing their Friday Four and things like that, then I was flying, you know, from Milwaukee to Hartford yeah. pretty regularly. Um, and that was what I assured them. I said, look, you know, you guys call me and, you know, you and I have talked about this, but and whatever you guys need me to do, I'll be there for it. Um Looking back now, having not been on a plane in eight months, right? It's that seems insane. Yeah, it is wild to think about now how how quickly and without a thought you'd be like, oh, fly out for one hour and then get on a flight a couple hours later and go back where I was. Sure, of course, why not? Uh, yeah, that's just how we operated. Yeah, 
It is interesting, and it will be interesting to see what things change for for good going forward, and probably our massive money savers and uh, carbon footprint savers, and then how many things do require and and um, are much better with with travel and everything else. Um, so you had a third child. And I know I read a story uh, about you where you spoke openly about having had um, some miscarriages. That was around the same time you were taking your job at ESPN and lost your dog and moving across the country. <laughs> I rem- I like still think about your dog being missing for like, what was it, three weeks? Yeah, it was. And we were leaving. We were moving yeah. to Connecticut. I, well, so it was I like, know. If because we don't it still find him. Me. Every time there's a, a lost dog, I'm like, remember when Jen Lattice dog was lost? Oh, my God. That was the most traumatic thing. And I never even met your dog. It was so traumatic um, because we were leaving and because the movers, which again, like none of it was anyone's fault, but like the movers had left the gate open as they were, you know, yeah, moving, moving stuff. our stuff. And then some guy and, took the dog and like wasn't going to say that he found it. And then like people pointed. That was very dramatic. It was, okay. It was, so anyway, you have you're moving cross country to a new company that you're excited, but a little bit scared about your dog is missing. And that was right around the same time, or was it just a a little bit after the first miscarriage? So then we had, I had all the radio drama at ESPN, where I was supposed to join a show that never existed, then was given a show that was a bad fit, was taken off the show, don't call us, we'll call you. Yeah. Dan's over there nodding because he's like, yeah, that's about what it was, Lana. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then it was, um, you know, kind of work your way up from the digital space and do, you know, filling in on stuff and, oh, we've got a 2 a.m. baseball tonight. Do you want to host that? Yes. I love baseball. Go Cubs. <laughs> um, you know, again, two o'clock in the morning, that's a, you know, that's when you got to cut your teeth. Um, and then it was probably right after I had got my footing where I was starting to do some regular shows where I had developed some relationships where people didn't think I was a total screw up. <laughs> um, that then, you know, you start to feel like, okay, we're on a roll. Things are going well. And that's when we had um, the miscarriage. And it was a very late miscarriage. I was five months pregnant um, when we lost that baby. And, you know, you've talked to a lot of women. I think we're getting a lot better. But like the reaction to me talking about having had a late term miscarriage was like, I can't believe she's talking about it. And I was like, this is crap. This this idea that we we can't talk about these things. Like this is why women like suffer in silence and feel like I did something wrong because no one's talking about it to tell them that they didn't do anything wrong. So it was, I was pretty adamant about like, no, screw you guys. Like this happened to me. If I want to talk about it, I'm going to talk about it. And if it makes you uncomfortable, ask yourself why it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and the selfishness of people not wanting to be burdened by someone else's pain instead of understanding how it will help other people through it manifests itself with women's issues more than anything else because of the martyrdom and because of the victim, you know, behavior is benefiting to the people around you. So you don't, you know, it's, it's wild. Um, but I just remember reading that and thinking how you went through all of that in such a short amount of time, um, and, and found your way through it. And, and like you said, you, you, you kind of paid your dues when they were like, ah, we don't know where to put her. And now you're crushing it and you're, you're doing things all over the place. Tell me about the radio show too, because, um, was there fear of getting back into radio when that was where uh, some of it began and and wasn't a great fit? Fear is a great word. There was definitely some apprehension. And I definitely remember like having conversations in my head where I was like, oh, I don't want to suck at this again. Um, 
but I had done a lot of fill in work um, for ESPN radio. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different space. I love hosting with you. It was, it's it was done differently. Yeah. Um, you know, it's different than like the local, yeah. um, you know, it's more treetop and we're talking about a lot of things across the country and here it's very localized, um, you know, macro versus micro. Um, but I, again, I reached out to people who are in the space, asked them like, Hey, what do you think of this? Like, should I, what do you, you know? And again, only I can make the decision, only me and my family, but ultimately I wanted to get as many opinions as possible about like what I was getting myself into. And I reached out to Lee Fitting, who is my boss on college game day, who oversees a lot of properties at ESPN. And I said, I don't know, man, like I, what I don't want is for it to take away from my game day responsibilities or for me all of a sudden to be torn between. And he said, Jen, we have no idea what 2020 is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't think that you're going to be traveling a lot. And he didn't mean me specifically. Like he just meant anyone in general. (laughs) Yeah. And he said, if this is something that you can make work with your family schedule and, you know, you think you'll enjoy it, he said, go for it. And so once I got the green light from my boss at ESPN, it was like, okay, we're going to dive back in. It's, it is. So I'm up at 5.30 every morning, which Ooh. is a totally new thing, right? Um, but it's 7 to 9, so it's two hours. Local radio, we're having a blast. It's a morning show, so we can be goofy. You know, we can talk about things that other people, you know, might not have the luxury of talking about. And we're building an audience, you know? So that's like, it's a really cool thing to be a part of. I really like my co-host, which is super helpful, because like, we've all been in situations where you're like, I don't really want to hang out with these people. Yep. But since you're paying me, I guess I have to. Um, so, so no, it's been I've, I've really been enjoying it, and and I like the the challenge. But also, Sarah, and I think you probably know this as well. I love having something that keeps me accountable every day. Yeah, like when you're on around, I, I the love horn, it and I hate it. I love it because I do <laughs> feel like like I'm so knowledgeable. I I know all the things, and especially in this job, I want to be the woman that feels confident that I know all the things I need to know. But it's exhausting. It requires such an upkeep. You can't take a break. And I feel guilty if I spend my free time listening to like Pod Save America instead of yet another sports podcast, because I could have used that hour to to know more about all of the things. See, and that's where I feel like you and I are similar in that, you know, there's a work ethic required to be successful in this industry. You obviously are on a show that is one, you know, a, a very um, watch. It's a watch program mm-hmm. at ESPN and you're very good at it. So in order to be good at it, you have to be doing all of the things mm-hmm. and reading all of the things and listening to all of the things. And I, like you, you know, does my family want to watch football all day Saturday and all day Sunday? No. Guess what? They don't. It's like you know? the opposite of growing up. Mom, can we go outside and get exercise? No. <laughs> shut down. <laughs> shut up and sit down. <laughs> um, but I sometimes feel like I'm missing an opportunity to be learning something that I may have to talk yeah. about and I don't want to be the person. But here's where I've gotten a lot better as I've gotten older. I'm so much better at saying I don't know. Totally. I'm so much well, better but that comes at admitting. With the confidence and also of other people knowing that you do know your stuff. So when you don't know something, who cares? Whereas you get so defensive when you're younger because you feel like it's an indictment of your whole career. And I try to tell young girls that. And I yeah. say, you're you're not going to feel like you can say it. But the sooner you say it, the more you'll feel comfortable saying it. Yeah. You know, and it won't be, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't know that thing. And somebody out there is going to assume that I don't know anything yeah. based on the one thing that I didn't mm-hmm. know. Someone um, tried to pull that on me the other day when I sent a half paying attention tweet about Tua and the Jets. And they were like, 
How is it possible that ESPN's Sarah Spain didn't know that Miami had just played the Jets? And I and I would have been like distraught. And I was like, yeah, whatever. F- you. I read the tweet wrong. I thought maybe they were playing two weeks in a row. Who gives a shit? Move on. <laughs> yeah. And I also think we're in a space where many people yeah. assume that that being a jerk is the way to interact with people. Mm. Like I I've gotten to another point, Sarah, where I've started to give people the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Cause I expect them to give me the benefit yeah, of the doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. I also like uh, pick and choose when I respond to people who are jerks. Sometimes I'll just say, Hey, I'm sorry. You're having a bad day. I hope it gets better <laughs> because I'm like, why would you ever react to something so silly like that? That's such a weird response. I'm just going to go ahead and laugh it off and hope things get better for you. Uh, well, I sent out a tweet yesterday about Tom Rinaldi, obviously. Yeah, the I saw Justin that. Johnson thing. And there was one person that reacted to it, basically saying that I was indicting Amanda, I think it's Balionis. Oh, oh, yeah, Balionis, yeah. And I was like, no, that's not at all what I was doing. I was literally saying, I've watched Tom Rinaldi do this. I'm telling you, this is exactly what he would have said. Yeah. And for some reason, it was interpreted as an indictment of this woman's performance. And like, I, I didn't even want to get into it. I said what I said, yeah. like responded. And once I responded, I was done. Like, I'm not going to convince you. If you think that I'm that big of an a-hole, I'm not going to convince <laughs> you that I'm not. Oh, God. It always comes back to Twitter and we're all still on it. Damn it. I've said a lot of F words today. Sorry. Real, real, real pent up. I watched last week tonight with John Oliver and I got all stressed about, you know, the world that we're in anyway. So, um, we're kind of running out of time here. There's so much more we could talk about. Um, did you go to Austria and Abu Dhabi for the special Olympics or did you do that from afar? Fortunately, that was pre 2020. So we were allowed to travel. So yeah, I did get to go to Abu Dhabi and Austria for Special Olympics. Special Olympics is one of the coolest things that we do at ESPN because we are wholly invested in showcasing the um, uniqueness of those athletes. And it's always been, and again, from a storytelling standpoint, they all have incredible stories of overcoming adversity and perception. And, um, you know, the fact that they're able to get on those stages and just like show what they can do. It's awesome. There's nothing better. Yeah. That's such a cool opportunity too. Um, and then you run a, a bunch of different marathons and I mean, you have three kids. I don't know. How, I really don't know how you do it. When do you go to bed if you wake up at 5.30? 9.30 now. I was usually more of like a 10.30, 11 type of person, but I'm pretty good about like, hey, this is what I have to do in order to be able to function. Yeah. And since functioning is kind of important Part for of the, the job. job. Yeah. There are mornings though, Sarah, where I can't find words and now I've gotten to the point where I just say it like, yeah. yep, I can't, you know, it's not happening today, guys. You know what though? Like, there is something to be said for that 7 to 9 a.m. morning. Everybody else is waking up. They want some goofiness and silliness with their morning. So that's the best time for your words not to work, I, I would say. Sim- similar to I'm 7 to 9 p.m., people have already started drinking. So it's the the slurring just it makes them feel uh feel relatable relatable uh me relatable to them. See here I'm doing it now. I didn't start drinking yet or did I? You don't know. Who who could tell? Uh, before we let you go, you have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects. It's the Spanish Inquisition speed round. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, what's your Desert Island album? You can only have one. Oh, probably a Dave Matthews band or Counting Crows. So let's go with probably Counting Crows, their first album. August and Everything After. Joining me and Aaron Rodgers and Taryn Killam 
and one other guest. I can't remember the final really? guest. That's, That's a lot our of Desert Island album for all those people. Uh, number two, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? I know this is supposed to be a speed round. Damn it, Jen. Um, <laughs> no, you know what? It probably is cursing. Just having a bit of a potty mouth oh. because when I can't find words, you just go straight to those four letter ones. And that seems to fill the time. I guess uh, I guess that is a, a good way to success. I've ridden that to success as well. Uh, number three, what would you consider your biggest failure? Uh, not getting over things fast enough, mm. letting them fester, sitting on them, you know, marinating in my head, chewing up all the space that I could be devoting to the next task. That's a good one. Number four, have you ever been in a fist fight? Yep. <laughs> Sounds like yep. many. Several? Uh, there have been incidents. <laughs> okay. All right. Moving on. Number five, if you could switch labs with anyone for a day, who would it be? Oh, who can I, who would I switch lives with for a day? Uh, probably a Kardashian. Just to see, like, see what that would be like. Wow. Of all the people in the world. So many people. But, like, can I tell you, I've never watched an episode of the show. Don't follow any of the Kardashians. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're no, like, I get you're, it. Just, you're ignorant. <laughs> you know nothing Ignorance about them. And so that's compelling. <laughs> Uh, they're much less compelling when you know anything about them. Uh, number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Oh, God, probably when I pooped in my neighbor's yard. Last and week? I wasn't even, last and week. I wasn't even that embarrassed. <laughs> it was just like, hey, it happens. Sorry it happened here. Um, Can I have a little more context? <laughs> uh, yes. So I was training for the um, the Chicago Marathon. So you were an adult. My- okay. Oh, yeah. This is within the last five years. Um, My mom insisted that we go to a Chinese buffet for dinner. No one else was on board, but sometimes you just do what your mom wants. And uh, let's just say things didn't agree with me. I was out on a run close to home, but not close enough. You're always so close. Okay. Was it nighttime? Dusk. (laughs) Slightly under the cover of night. Not as much as one would hope. Would have been a lot more conspicuous if my son hadn't gone, Mom, are you pooping? (laughs) Why was your son watching? (laughs) No, no, he was running. He was riding his bike alongside me on my run. No. So you asked about being embarrassed. That was probably it. Oh, okay. Uh, no, that's my favorite one yet. Everyone's always like, I farted once. And I'm like, okay, give me something better than that. Uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Um, I still have a little bit of a rage monster. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on that. Um, you know, I can feel myself getting better as I get older, but sometimes I just see red. And so I'm working on like not having that instant reaction to things that's good Um, yeah yeah it's a lot healthier for sure for sure um number eight if you could be commissioner of life for a day what one rule would you enforce that all of society would have to adhere to well currently it would be to wear a mask that is a good one there's a lot of people (laughs) who still aren't wearing masks so let's go with that right now that is we would all be able to get out of this hellscape if more people would just put out a piece of uh, a tiny piece, piece of, of fabric right over your face. Don't even notice it's there. Uh, number nine, what's the most scared you've ever been? Oof, probably when I had my miscarriage. Um, I remember laying on the table in the hospital 
or in the doctor's office and the reaction that the technician had when she was wanding my stomach, it was terrifying. Mm. And there's that, and it feels like hours, but it was just a few moments between when she left her post at the, on the stool to when she went and got the doctor who then told me that we had lost the baby, but the time just stopped. And I remember being just terrified. So scared. Yeah. Um, number 10, what three words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Mm, I feel like we've talked about this before, maybe on something else. Um, smart. I've always gone to smart, you know, and maybe that's because I'm a woman in sports and I've always mm -hmm. just wanted to be considered a smart person. Um, um, consider it. Um, you know, I find myself the older I get, Sarah, you know, when something I think can make someone else smile. Yeah. Just like trying to trying to do it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I think that comes so from your own happiness too. Once, you think? once I think I think when you become happy, you want everybody else to feel that way too. And when you're not happy, you tend to to take it out on other people. A lot of people don't realize their insecurities and their their sadness about what's going on in their life is what makes them mean to other people. Yeah, that makes sense. The whole misery loves company mm -hmm. thing, right? Um, and I think fun. You know, having three kids keeps you young. You know, I, I mentioned that yesterday we were playing, you know, the floor is lava. Uh -huh. My three-year-old, my three-year-old goes, did you hear that? The floor is llama. <laughs> I was like, no, a Totally baby. different game though. And worth exploring. The floor is lava said, would be more interesting because sometimes you might land on a furry back and sometimes you might have a toe in a bunch of teeth. We said it was like that commercial fraud protection, fraud, fraud protection. Yeah, We're yeah. totally on the are same page. Pam? Are you saying Pan? Pan or Pam? Um, all right. Finally, who should I have on this podcast? Who's a good person to talk to, sports or not sports at all? Really anyone that exists in the world other than a Kardashian. I'm not interested and I can't get them. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I bet you could if you tried, Sarah. You had a pretty pretty good list of people I can get that podcast. guy who like created a show pretending to be the lost brother. That's about probably the extent of who I could get. Ah, <laughs> uh, who should you get? Trevor Lawrence. Get Trevor Lawrence on. He's likely hmm. going to be the number one overall pick, and he's probably going to uh, go to the Jets. <laughs> so let's find yeah. out how he's feeling he's about feeling life about right now. Everything in the world. Um, that's a good one. Hey, Jen, this was fun. You'll have to come back again, and we can explore more, but uh, this was awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, I know that you get quite the list of people. It's always interesting to see the people that you're able to get on this podcast and it runs the gamut. So I think you're doing a pretty good nice. job of, uh, of you know, hitting on a lot of different things that people are interested in. That's what she said. It's time once again for South Bitch Sessions, where I rant about something that bothers me and I fix it. This week, people who complain about everything. One day if I snap, it's probably going to be, hold on a minute. Wait, that's me. That's me in this segment every week. Okay, this week in the spirit of Thanksgiving, which will likely look very different for many this year, I want to remind you instead of thinking about what you don't have and what you can't do, to concentrate instead on what you do have and what you can do. So you have, hopefully, your health and a job and a warm, safe house and money to buy dinner and computers and technology so you can Zoom with your family safely a TV to watch football and old movies and Thanksgiving episodes of your favorite shows, a couch to lie on, a dog to snuggle, a book to read. All of those things are more than so many other people have. And I find too many people are focusing now on how Thanksgiving's going to look different in a bad way. And we need to focus on how we get through this together and get to the other side so that next year we can have 
a normal Thanksgiving, whatever that looks like to you, which could involve, you know, fighting with your family members or sitting on on your phone all night and waiting to get to leave. Uh, so you're missing out on that this year. So that's a plus if that's how you roll. Um, my friend sent out a poem, Jason and Anna, a year or two ago in their annual Thanksgiving card, and it's by W.S. Merwin. And I thought it was a good one. So this is uh, this is what it sounds like. Listen, with the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridges to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water, thanking it, standing by the windows, looking out in our directions. Back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging, after funerals, we are saying thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. Over telephones, we are saying thank you in doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators, remembering wars and the police at the door and the beatings on stairs. We are saying thank you in the banks. We are saying thank you in the faces of the officials and the rich and of all who will never change. We go on saying thank you. Thank you. With the animals dying around us, taking our feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us, we are saying thank you faster and faster. With nobody listening, we are saying thank you. Thank you, we are saying and waving, dark though it is. It's not exactly a picking me up, but it's a, it's a message for our times. All right, I feel good about what we accomplished today. Still got a lot to be thankful for, so no bitch in this week, people. Just be kind to each other. There, I fixed it. Don't forget to go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars, of course, for That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. Well, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs>